Hello fellow adventurers and welcome to the Nerd Lab, where we transform our gaming passion into incredible game designs and learn how to nerd like a boss. My name is Marvin and I'm an ambitious game designer on my quest to develop a cooperative fantasy card game. For this podcast, my vision is to take you with me on this exciting journey. Together we will explore the secrets of different game mechanics and reach the next level as a game designer. In episode 53 of the Nerd Lab, we are going to talk about action selection in card and board games. Most games in the area of um, yeah, strategy card games like Magic, Keyforge and most of the others um, as well are sequential games. That means players choose their action one at a time before the other players do. But what I've always been interested in is exploring games where players select their actions at the same time. Instead of sequential action selection, we now talk about simultaneous action selection. And luckily for you and uh, for me, I'm following uh, an expert for simultaneous action selection on Instagram. He is a game designer creating exactly that kind of game. A strategy dueling card game with simultaneous action selection. And let me tell you, this is one of the most promising games I've seen in a while. The design looks very, very clean and yeah, when I read the individual cards, I instantly want to play with them because I can imagine how to build nice strategies and combos with them. So overall, the game looks very, very promising to me with regards to yeah, game mechanisms and artwork as well. So I'm very, very proud that the designer accepted my invitation to be part of the show today um, yeah, to tell us a bit more about his experiences with simultaneous action selection and the design process of his game, Amble Tournament. I'm really looking forward to talk to him today. Please welcome with me Bernardo Bittencourt, the designer of Amble Tournament. Welcome to the show, Bernardo. Thanks. Thanks for having me and thanks for your kind words. I'm really excited to talk to you about all the different mechanics and design inspirations and my design process. Yeah, awesome. Um, I'm also very uh, looking forward to, to our um, session today. Um, we are going to talk about the design process of Amble Tournament and um, yeah, simultaneous action selection. But before we dive into our main topic, we would like to learn a little bit more about um, you as a game designer, Bernardo. Could you please introduce yourself and yeah, tell us um, how your journey as a game designer began? Sure. So I'm Bernardo. Um, I first started playing games on the Super Nintendo so games like Breath of Fire 2 and Super Mario World. Um, so always a little bit in the RPG kind of adventure uh, kind of games. And then I moved to Super Nintendo 64, uh, Nintendo 64 with a lot of great adventure games there as well. And also Pokemon at around that time was probably my first game like really that I loved and really motivated me to work with games and uh, study more about it. Um, I also played Pokemon card game when I was young. So right when it came out, I was like really into that. And then I never played it again. And also a kind of funny fact that I'm making a card game, but I never played Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh! or any of these other big card games. So... Most of my inspirations and my process of becoming a gamer and a game designer were from digital games and especially uh, RPGs. 
So I remember playing Diablo 2 from really young age, and Tibia, and Ragnarok, and Guild Wars, and Guild Wars 2, and Path of Exile. So all of these big online RPGs, they are truly my inspiration for game design. And yeah, so that's basically how I started to get into games. Uh, and then when I was about to enter college, I entered College for Computer Science, but I really didn't like it. So I changed to game design in Brazil. So yeah, I graduated in game design, and then I moved to Tokyo and been working as a game designer here for a small company. Oh, awesome. That sounds, sounds very interesting. Can you tell us a bit more about um, how the how your studies in Brazil for game design looked like? What did you, what did you learn during your studies? Yeah, it was really interesting because I entered game design, uh, the course, without really knowing what I was going to study, like specifically. And I was expecting a lot more coding, but there was a little bit of everything. So I learned how to code, like the basics, and how to draw, how to paint, how to do 3D models, how to animate both 2D and 3D, um, a lot of game theory, so uh, the basic procedures of how making a game. And each semester in the college, we had to make a different project. So the first uh, semester was a board game. The second semester was, uh, I think, was a 2D animation. And then the third semester was a, a 2D game. So each uh, semester had a different project and a different challenge. So it was really good to, even though they're not commercial games, uh, we would practice our game design um, theories and strategies and just like work that muscle and that really helps. Um, so yeah, it was a really interesting course and usually the uh, projects were groups, in groups of uh, I think five. So each person could dedicate themselves to a specific area that they liked and I always dedicated to the game design and working on the GDD, is a game design document. So writing everything about the game, the inspiration, why we decided to, to uh, the choices that we made, or why the character would be named that, or why would the colors we decided to go with, or the art um, style that we decided to go with. And we really had to think all of the design thoroughly and yeah, convince the, the teachers of why we're doing that. That sounds very interesting. Um, I would have liked to study that as well in my past, but unfortunately <laughs> I didn't. Um, well, I have to learn it uh, myself the hard way, probably. Um, yeah, or by, or by talking I, to experienced people like you. Yeah, but to be honest, most of what I learned, I, I'm not going to say most, but a lot of what I learned was trying by myself and taking what I saw in class and studying it more because on the, the course was kind of um, just the basics of everything and it's a lot so I never became a good coder, I never became a good artist so I had to really study on game design to like perfect that area because it's what it interested me. Yeah, sure. So um, one one question that, um, that I have um, Amble Tournament is a solo project, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So um, nice. and mm. and during your um, during your um, your studies, most of the projects you you mentioned were were, were team projects. So 
Um, is there anything that you are you are missing in your solo project right now um, compared to the team project that you had in the uh, in the university? Mm, it's it's a different kind of project when you work at solo. You have ups and downs compared to the group. So you don't have anyone to talk to, and I miss that a lot. So to talk about the design, and of course I can talk other people's about uh, other people about Emble Tournament, but are, they're not people that really know the game deeply, which opposed to a group project, the people that were you're working with, they know the game deeply. So that's one of the things I miss the most, kind of just brainstorming things um, before you apply them. But at the same time, working alone. I can do things at my own pace and I can take my time to study and um, just make decisions by myself, which I kind of like. Um, yeah, I think that's the biggest difference. It's when you're doing it alone, you're owning the project and you're more free in certain ways because sometimes in a group project, people don't agree with your idea, even though they have a different idea that is not better or worse it's just different and sometimes finding the middle ground it's hard so when you're doing it alone you're just free more free yeah i agree here 100 um most of the game designers i talk to um are working on solo projects most of them and um i do as well and i often miss miss someone someone to yeah to bounce ideas off with and um, mm. yeah. what we have tried to do is um, in our nerd lab group is to to start mastermind groups so that people of four to five or maybe six people come together that meet on mm -hmm. a on a weekly basis and um, talk about their games and so they get to know their games um, of of each other and um, yeah they can they can brainstorm together and help each other out. Um, when you when you have some kind of struggles uh, during the design phase and um, mm -hmm. the feedback that you get is is very is very good there because um, yeah the people invest time in your game they know your game they know your goals um, and it is different than um, yeah talking to let's say more more random anonymous people um, in, mm -hmm. in a Facebook group also so that is something that that helps me but um, I still I'm still looking. Looking forward to um, to do projects with other game designers because um, yeah I really like that uh, that uh, that teamwork um, in in in, in projects and I'm, I miss that quite a bit at the moment. Yeah, and specifically with Facebook groups or Reddit uh, like game design Reddit subreddits, you post your idea and you try to explain it, but people are just looking at this very surface and they give all the all kinds of feedback. And it's kind of hard sometimes because you see a feedback that makes sense, but they don't really understand part of the game or they don't know about the full um, design specs. So, yeah, talking with people that are a bit of a random people, they just giving the first impression feedback, which is also good, but it's not the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree here. So... If any of you listeners are interested in joining one of the mastermind groups, I've um, I've talked about it in the past episodes as well. You can do so um, by joining our Discord server, and I will help you to find um, yeah to find a group of like-minded people, game designers to yeah to present your ideas to and to um, playtest your games and um, yeah get the get the feedback that you are looking for. 
But um, now that we have um, yeah learned a little bit more about um, about you, Bernardo, and your journey as a game designer, uh, would you like to yeah, to tell us a little bit more about um, Amble Tournament, your game, so that um, yeah the listeners understand what we are talking about today and um, yeah what your game is is about? Sure. So Amble Tournament it's an expandable card game, so it's like a living card game. Uh, just can't call it that. But I plan to release it in sets. Um, so we will get a box with all the cards and every card in the game is a skill so there are no monsters, no creatures that you, you control you're just using skills yourself and the idea is that you're dueling your opponent and the main way to do it is with the simultaneous combat and actually the simultaneous aspect goes through the entire round so you're going to draw cards at the same time you're going to battle at the same time You're going to do the end phase uh, effects at the same time. So everything is happening uh, together with your opponent. And the simultaneous combat uses what some people call a double blind system. So you're going to choose which card you want to use. You're going to put it face down in the table and your opponent's going to do the same. And you're going to, re when both players put the cards face down, you're going to reveal it and see how their, the skills interact. So you can just do damage to each other or depending on the card you're using, you can block your opponent or you can interrupt it, which is a kind of a priority block. Or you can heal yourself, you can cause a curse, which is a debuff to your opponent, or you can cause, you can cast a boon, which is a buff to yourself. So they're all different kinds of skills and mechanics that make this really interesting because you never know when you flip the card what exactly is going to happen. And this part of the fun is trying to predict your opponent while also doing your own strategy at the same time. Also, the each skill belongs to one school of knowledge. They are kind of the how I group different skills. So we have water magic and fire magic for the magic-based schools, and you have sword path and assassination path for the strength-type schools. And the magic schools use mostly spells, and the strength schools use mostly actions. And players are limited to build their deck using only two of these schools, so any school have their own style of play, so you can't just grab all the skills. You have to decide what type of deck you want to build and pick the schools that you want to use to build that kind of deck. Uh, so if you want to go really aggressive, you can go with Fire Magic and Assassination Path, Or if you want to play more defensively, you would choose Sword and Water. So I wanted to give a lot of customization to the player, um, both thematically, if they want to be like a wizard, or if they want to be like a warrior, or if they want to be a mix, and also uh, custom allow them to customize their strategy if they want to be more aggressive or more defensive. And that's one of the big draws to my game that I want players to feel kind of like an RPG like I said it was one of my main inspirations and just you doing your actions you're not controlling creatures you're the one in the battle doing things and like high interaction with your opponent and you're customizing how you want to do it and how you want to feel about it and yeah that sounds very interesting to me I really um I didn't play your game yet, but I'm looking forward to do so in the future. Um, mm -hmm. I have um, I have one question. You mentioned that you are um, selecting um, skills or um, or actions 
uh, one um, one at a time. So um, if I, as a player, um, choose a card to play, I, I place it uh, hiddenly in front of me, um, mm-hmm. and the opponent does the same thing at the same time. Um, but yeah. um, you only you only um, place one card there. So um, and then you reveal it, right? Yeah, and then you reveal it, mm-hmm. and when you reveal, so each player has an energy board showing how much energy they have for that round, and it goes from 0 to 15, and when you reveal a card, you pay the energy cost, and you resolve the effects, and if you want, you can place another card to use in the same uh, round, and if even if your opponent runs out of energy, you can still play cards if you still have energy left, uh, that really goes into the strategy of planning your round, like what you're going to do, and also allows, so putting one card at a time down allows you to adapt to what your opponent is doing. So if you see your opponent's about to use, like it's preparing to use a stronger skill, you can prepare yourself to block it if you can. How would you how would you identify that he uh, the opponent is going to prepare for a stronger spell? Um, if they're building up uh, curses on yourself or if they're building up boons on themselves or if they use like a buff card so there are some cards that says uh, your next action will do more damage um, or some cards that give you more energy so you can use a higher cost skill so you can kind of tell on that way but it goes into knowing the game and knowing the skills that are available so it takes a little bit of time to learn the game and to finally understand these nuances. But yeah, I, I've been playtesting with people and some more experienced players, they can effectively block and interrupt key skills from that are being used. Yeah, that sounds like there's also some kind of, um, yeah, mind games plays a bit, little bit of a role in the game. So identifying what strategy the opponent um, is going for um, and building mm-hmm. up some countermeasures for that. Yeah, and at the same time, you could use a skill that says, like I said, increase the damage of your next skill, but then your next skill is not a damaging skill, you just bluffed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot of mind games possible. And um, so, why did you really decide to um, to only have uh, play one card at a time? I mean, you could also have decided to um, to play out your entire um, entire round let's say three or four mm-hmm. cards, for example, um, everyone, and then reveal them um, card by card, like it, is, mm-hmm. like it is done, for example, in, in games like Robo Rally, where you kind of program a robot or so. Yeah, so I wanted, like I said, customization is a really big part for my game, and I want players to feel like they're in control of the combat, so they can adapt if something happens during the combat. Uh if your opponent uses a curse on you that really hinders you, you would be able on your next skill to remove that curse or to take advantage of something that your opponent did. So I wanted players to be able to be really in control of in the battle. Yes, and that, that makes makes sense to me, um, absolutely. Um, I have another question for you. Um, mm. Maybe, though, that from a game design perspective... Um, there is a design challenge that um, I could think comes with uh, with the um, simultaneous actions, because uh, mm-hmm. in games like um, like um, Magic, for example, or most of the other 
um, card games, um, you have, or sequ sequential games, um, you have mm -hmm. some, something like the stack, which uses, um, a last in first out principle. I mean, um, when you cast a spell, um, mm -hmm. or the spell that was played last will be resolved first. So when you react on something, the reaction will be, will be resolved first and then the, the action later. But uh, when spells are cast simultaneously, um, as it is in your game, this principle mm -hmm. doesn't work anymore. I mean, they are both <laughs> they are both on the stack at the same time. So how do you yeah. how do you really decide um, what happens first? The the attack, the defense, the healing. What 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 is the order there of the the effects? Yeah. So I wrote down a, a list that explains the order of how things are solved. So first thing, <clears throat> you pay the energy cost. Because if you imagine in an RPG, once you use a skill, it's because you pay the energy that is necessary for that. So that's the first thing that happens. The second thing is the interrupt. So if you're going to interrupt the, your opponent's skills, which means it will cancel the skill completely. Or if you're going to block, that's a third step. Uh, and blocking interrupt, uh, cancels the effect on yourself, but some other secondary effects on your opponent may still apply. Um, after that, other defensive effects happen because usually if you're using a skill that is defensively, it will hit you before then your opponent's skill. After defensive effects, uh, offensive effects happen, so causing a curse, causing bleeding or poison or burning, so this kind of effects happen. Then heal is calculated and then damage is calculated. So it sounds complicated, but once you play a few times, it's really organic, and players say that it, it makes sense. It feels natural, the order of things, how they're solved. Hmm. Do you have some um, um, player help? That's a, a, a card that shows the sequence also that, that players have that um, yeah, at hand so that they know it? Yeah, I plan to have a, a card, like a reference card, with one side on the round order and the other side the how to solve the effects. And yeah, so I plan to have like this reference card. Mm -hmm. um, and so what what other kind of design challenges uh, came up during your design process? Maybe with regard to um, simultaneous action selection or maybe, mm. maybe other design challenges? Yeah, um, I actually didn't talk about the design challenge of doing this, um, solving the effects at the same time. I really, every time I go to write a skill or tweak a skill, I have to really think about the order of how things are affected and how I'm going to write the skill so it's really clear um, what will happen when you use that. And especially the order of, of the things I write, for example, I try to put the damage uh, part of the description at the end because that's usually what is solved last. So I try to write the skills following the order of how things are solved. And also when I have to, when I was creating the skills and balancing, I have to think about all the options that exist and how things, uh, how skills will interact with each other and how they will affect both the short term and the short term means the exact round that is being played and also the long term um, that is the strategy that it plays on the meta game. So it's a lot of thinking and considering um, all the skills that are available right now 
so yeah, it's really challenging doing that and comparing with other skills that already exist and thinking something's going to break. So there are some skills that I wrote in the past that when I saw it in play, they oh, it's kind of impossible to accurately decide how it's going to be solved. So I just have to rewrite the skill and recreate the skill. Yeah, that sounds uh, sounds like a lot of work to to have. But but I mean, you have a what the good thing is that you have a a kind of yeah script there because if you if you use the the order of effects how they are resolved, you pretty much know how to how to order the effects on the cards as well when you write them down. Yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah, yeah, having the structure of how the round uh, plays and how the effects order plays. It's really, really helpful because every time I'm gonna write a skill, I know exactly which part of the order it will fit in. And what what other kind of challenges did you face during the design process? Um, what was your what was what was maybe your 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 biggest challenge during the design so far? I think the biggest challenge was writing all the hundred skills because. And they are separated in these four school, schools of knowledge because this, each skill has to be in team with that school of knowledge. It has to be also in the style of play of that school of knowledge. And it has to be balanced with every other skill that exists. And since I don't have rarity in my game, uh, there's not like stronger cards from each other. They all have to be balanced between each other and they shouldn't create combos that are too strong or that will because when you create something that is too strong players will only want to use that so I want to avoid that um, so yeah writing all of the skills so they are all clear on how to use and when to use and following the order of effects and still um, yeah still being in team with everything else it's, it was the real challenge Please let us go a little bit into the nitty-gritties here. So um, how did you create the spells? Did you have some kind of um, of uh, Excel spreadsheet, for example, or Google spreadsheet where you listed oh, all yeah. the cards? And um, how, was your, how was your process? What did you do first, uh, second, third from the steps? Um, was it some kind of um, um, design skeleton that you started with? Um, so what kind of effects mm -hmm. did you come come up with first? So let us uh, let us uh, know a little bit about the the process of creating these um, these uh, hundred cards. Yeah. So basically, I had the mechanics that I wanted to introduce, and they're basically the interrupt, block, curses, boons, and conditions. So and the conditions are bleeding, poison, and burning, and all of these mechanics came from online RPGs. You have things like hexes and enchantments and burning and bleeding in many of RPGs, and I know I wanted to introduce them into this game. So that's basically how it started. And so I started writing, I wrote 40 simple skills for each school. And so they're really just like do damage or heal or block. So without a lot of secondary effects, just to try out the simultaneous combat, how it felt, and if it was fun, and turned out to be fun. So from, and of course everything in this Excel sheet, I really needed everything organized, and um, so I could order by cost and by school. 
Um, so it started from there, and once I proved that the um, basic mechanic worked and the gameplay was fun, I started polishing and balancing the skills, and really started from there, from uh, 160 really simple skills that I started polishing and removing some of them, and I end up with 100 skills. And may I ask how long this this process uh, took you in the um, to get to the point where you are today? Um, I started working about two years and a half ago, but probably the first six months were really slow because I was I wasn't really planning to make this project like a final product. Uh, I was just doing it kind of for fun because I wanted to make an RPG and I wanted to play around with skills and just skills ideas and interactions. So in the beginning it was quite slow, but about two years or one year and a half ago, I really took it seriously. Oh, I can make this as a product and sell it. So yeah, it was about two years of intense work, but it's not only working on the game mechanics, but also working on the lore. I'm creating a lore from scratch and working on the design on how I wanted to the game to look and working with the artist and finding the right artist for this and guiding him on the what my vision was um, and doing the marketing and all of that also takes a lot of time. Absolutely. And um, yeah, the art looks great, by the way. I really liked it. And um, yeah, I'm, I think you did a, did a good job there. And the artist <laughs> as well. You. Yeah, yeah, he's really, really good. Another um, another design challenge that um, came to my mind is um, related to your um, to your resource system, because mm. um, the number of actions that um, a player can can have during a turn can be different for for both players, um, because mm -hmm. you have an have an amount of uh, of energy available. You have uh, and and all the spells cost a different amount of energy. So sometimes it might happen that uh, that um, that one player can cast more cards than than the other, and this leads to a situation where or can lead to a situation, at least in my mind, where players um, mm -hmm. are uncertain whether or not they want to play another card this turn. So let's say I have a card in my hand that might be a defensive card or so. And I don't mm -hmm. know if the other player um, with his uh, resources left will play another another card or not. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I need to decide if I want to play the defensive card or not. And in that case, isn't it a problem that um, the action selection is simultaneous? I mean, um, <laughs> do 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 I uh, when do I have to decide if I want to play another card and who decides first who if if he wants to play another card? How do you handle that? Yeah, so that's fun because that is a problem, but it's a problem for the players to think about. I, I purposely put in this problem, so players have to look at their energy board and see what they want to do. And one interesting thing about the energy board is that you can not use all your energy and save some of that energy for the next round. So you can do more things in the next round if you want to. Um, so it's really about the player trying to decide and on their own strategy if they want to play more cards or not. And the way players decide if they want to play cards or not, there's order as well. The player with the most health has to 
name first if they want to play a card or not. And then the other player will say, oh, I'm going to play a card or not. And then they place a card down. So there is a order for that, but it doesn't happen much often that the players are like in the lockdown, but trying to decide who will go first. But yeah, if it comes to that, there is an order and usually it's quite easy to, to solve. Let us let us talk a little bit about your your resource mechanic because I mm -hmm. I I didn't play with it so I cannot really I do not really how the how the the feel is during during the during the game, but mm -hmm. from from reading what it does I really like it, and um, I can also tell you why because in in most strategy card games um, the main goal if you want to be successful is to um, to use your resources as effective as possible. So in mm -hmm. Magic, that means you want to spend your entire mana each turn, for example. Mm -hmm. And it's probably the same with Hearthstone and other games like that. Yeah. And um, sometimes if you are not able to, to use your entire entire resources in a turn because you do not have the right cards that match to the situation or so, um, mm -hmm. you fall behind. And yeah. um, Legends of Terror is the first, or was the first game that I've seen that, um, that uses some kind of uh, resource storing mechanic where you can up to three spend uh, or use up to three mana um, in the next round, but only for spells in, in that game. Mm -hmm. And your game does something similar because you, you mm -hmm. start with a, with a number of resources, but mm -hmm. this is not your maximum. You, you, you have a maximum of resources that can be increased by, by, by spells, for example. So you can build up um, mm. um, more resources. And you can store it in for the next round. Um, I found that really interesting with regards to to tactic and um, to solve yeah. the problem that one player can fall behind. So was this kind of something that you that you thought about? That was the reasoning for that uh, for that resource, um, or what was the, re the the reasoning behind it? So it's quite funny because the reasoning is just again online RPGs, and you have a mana bar. And if you don't use all your mana, you still have some left. And if you wait a little bit, it will restore. And in a pose, if your opponent uses all of their mana, they are not going to have as much as you in the a couple of seconds later. So that was the basic um, the start for it. And also, I really wanted players to start with a number of resources. So in this case, you start with eight uh, energy. And so... There's not a situation like in many games that you start with a hand with a lot of high cost skills and you can't use them because you're still like building up the curve, uh, like your energy or your mana. So I really want to skip that and go straight to action. So that was one of the reasons. And also allow players to store up energy to, like I said, play a bigger round or just to be more cautious and see what your opponent is doing. So and that really allows the game to start at full speed, uh, really intense, and also be more fluid in what the opponent um, or what you are able to do or not. So you you don't feel like oh I have to use everything that I have right now because otherwise I'm just gonna waste um, energy. So it really again it's for the player to feel more comfortable and more in control of what they're doing. I I really like the mechanic. Um, I have to say that, and um, yeah, I also like the the reasoning behind it that it comes from from the online RPGs with the with a mana bar. That's that's great. Yeah, and it's actually really not complicated to use the energy board 
it's you have numbers from zero to fifteen. So if you have if you are at ten energy, you have the marker at ten. And if you use a skill that costs three energy, you just move the marker to seven, and you just just have to mark where you are at the moment. And in the end of the round, you gain eight back. So it's it's that simple. It's what sometimes is more complicated is the max uh, energy, your limit, and that you can increase or decrease with skills. And also, so uh, another thing about my game is that the deck only have twenty cards, and that's a very small amount because I wanted the feeling of the, the skills recharge with time. So when your deck runs out of cards, you shuffle the discard pile and make a new deck. And basically your, all your skills recharge at that moment. Um, and when that happens, your max energy goes down. And the reason that I did this way is because if you keep recharging your deck, uh, the game won't last, would last forever. So I made it that every time that that happens, you lose max energy and when your max energy goes to six uh, goes to five uh, you lose the game so that's also a second loss condition that I want to put in the game yeah, I also I also like like that because um, I have stumbled in my ga- one of my games with uh, with bringing the game to an end and um, sometimes uh, you really need some kind of secondary um, Win or loss condition um, to make sure that the game doesn't yeah doesn't go endless. And mm-hmm. um, I I know many games, many card games um, like Magic do it when when you when your deck is empty, for example, mm-hmm. that you lose. Um, your library is empty, but empty. But um, yeah, that's a interesting way of combining different um, mechanisms of your game because your of course your library is uh, or your deck is. Uh, it does not uh, have 60 cards or so. It only has 20 cards. So this yeah. wasn't an option for you. So you d- did something that is really smart. You combined it with with your other mecha- mechanisms in the game. And I always mm-hmm. like that when the different mechanisms somehow are inter interconnected. And is it is it really a strategy in your game, a, a winning strategy to reduce the energy of the opponent to um, to five? Is this a strategy you can go for? Is or is this more like a a fallback? Um, loss conditions or that the game doesn't um, go too long? No, it's actually a strategy you can go with. So Water Magic have a lot of uh, spells that are based on frost and cold and just freezing your opponent. And there are two spells there that reduce your opponent's total energy. And a combination with that in reducing your opponent's total energy and making your opponent, and if your opponent has a kind of deck that burns out faster they're going to naturally lose total energy faster and they might lose the game because of that. Yeah, that's that sounds very interesting to me. Like your game has a lot of different nuances that you can play around with. Um, and um, yeah, the different schools of knowledge sound also very interesting to me um, because uh, yeah, they sound like they have a very different identity um, mm-hmm. and um, flavor to it. And um, yeah, that's something that I that I really like. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about um, your different schools and how you yeah how you used them during the design process to maybe to guide your your um, your, your designs of the cards even. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to like I said I wanted to make a game inspired by RPGs, but I first thought of making classes like warrior or wizard and ranger, but I didn't want 
I wanted to a way to combine different skills at the same time. So I went with so there's a game called Guild Wars, and each class have a different set of attributes. For example, uh, elementalists, which is like a wizard, have fire magic, air magic, earth magic, and water magic, and each of these attributes have a set of skills. So that's basically how the schools of knowledge came about. Or, for example, in Diablo 2, you have three different uh, skill trees for each character. So I wanted to make these kind of schools so they can could be combined. So if you go with water magic and sword path, it will feel a way. But if you go with water magic and assassination path, it will feel a completely different way, even though you're using the same school, water magic. And they definitely help guide what I want to do with the, the cards and the design. Uh, so, for example, Water Magic is based on protections and curses that comes from like this cold and freeze idea and using water to heal yourself. And so it's definitely a slower, um, more cautious kind of deck. While in comparison, Fire Magic is all out offensive and damage and it tries to burn your opponent and will kind of sacrifice yourself a little bit so you can make yourself on fire, put yourself on fire to do more damage. And of course you're doing damage to yourself, but you're also trying to end the game faster, which is the opposite of what Water Magic does. And Sword Path, which is based on uh, swordmanship, uh, you have a lot of blocks and causing bleeding to your opponent and a big thing on the this school is keep your opponent bleeding and take advantage of that so you'll do more damage you will heal yourself your opponent's bleeding um, so it's also it's a deck and balance of defense and offense and assassination path which is really all again to offense and it's also kind of a support deck so it really works well with other decks it helps um, build up curses, it helps build up conditions. Um, it can cause conditions itself. It has It's the only school that can cause the three conditions, burning, bleeding, and poison. Um, and it's really about messing with your opponent because assassination is all about fighting that breach in your opponent and do most damage you can um, using that, that weakness. So all of these different teams with the schools help me build the skills that I want. So I concentrate a lot of the healing skills in water magic. I concentrate a lot of the blocks in sword path. I concentrate a lot of the straight pure damage skills in fire magic and a bunch of kind of weird and quirky skills and assassination. So yeah, that's how the process works using these schools of knowledge. And I also plan to release more schools of knowledge in the future. And since you have the limit of only using two schools at the same time, um, you also have to consider how you're going to build your deck, if you're going to, which skills you're going to pick from these two schools. And during the design process, um, how did you, did you define what each um, school is about? Did you have some kind of design document where you wrote down the um, the different schools and their um, mm. abilities, their flavor, um, and how did that really guide your 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 design of the cards? Was this something that was there before you um you you designed the cards, or was that something that yeah um more or less was a was a living 
a living thing <laughs> while you created the cards that that changed um, when you changed the cards. You changed also the what the schools were about. Um, what mm -hmm. was the, the the order here of the design process? I think the order was first. I defined generally what I wanted each school to be about, and while I was shaping the skills, I was also finding out new mechanics that I want to use or having cool ideas that also would go back and define what the school was about. So it was a little bit of back and forth in defining the school and then shaping the skills and refining what the school was about. And in the end, I came up with a design uh, document that are archetypes for each school. So it's like a hexagon that pulls, for example, offensive in one end and defensive in another end. So if one skill is really offensive, it pulls the defensive like aspect away. So I won't have a lot of defensive skills on that school because it's more based on offensive skills. And so on the, the six points are defensive and offensive in two extreme ends, um, interactive and non-interactive in the opposite ends. And by interactive, I mean playing with your opponent, so trying to block it or trying to interrupt your opponent or just um, causing conditions and doing more damage because of something your opponent is doing. So you have schools that are more interactive, like sword and assassination, and schools are less interactive, like water and fire. For example, fire magic, you're basically just doing your own thing and not really worrying about your opponent is doing. Um, and the other two points were burst and steady. And what these two mean are, if you're steady, you're taking the game slowly and not trying to rush the game to finish sooner. And if you're burst, you're trying to make the game end fast, even though you have to burst yourself in the process. So like a, a fire magic, there's a lot of discard effects. There's a lot of effects that damage yourself. So your main goal is like to burst and finish the game fast. So I made these design documents for the four schools that help me guide that and will help me guide in the future when creating new schools and creating more skills for the existing schools. Are you willing to, to share that, uh, that hexagon um, illustration? Because I would like to, to show it to the, to the, to the listeners if you, if you want sure. to. Yeah, yeah, I can. I can send you one right now just so you have an idea of what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's perfect because I um, yeah, I think that is very very helpful for for listeners to see um, how to structure the um, yeah doing the creation phase of a uh, of schools or colors or so. Um, that reminds me a little bit of um, the color pie in Magic, um, which is also a very a very strong tool. I also have a have an episode about uh, color identity, which um, which I will also link in the in the show notes, uh, where I go deeper into that topic. Yeah, I have also a blog post where I talk specifically about the how I created these archetypes. That's how I call the this hexagon thing, and yeah. I also give you a link to that. I think it helps understand how I um, I got to the process, and but it's definitely something I didn't do from the start. It was something that evolved during the process of creating skills because creating the skills was a lot of fun because I just using all of my knowledge from RPGs and skills in RPGs, which is something that I really, really love. And 
translating these ideas into the cards and then shaping the schools along the way was kind of how I, I did the whole process. Yeah, awesome. I'm also going to link the the blog post article, of course. If you are listening, I would uh, I would uh, yeah propose to take a look at them because they they look very very good. Okay, um, is there anything else, Bernardo, that you would like to share about your design process of uh, Amble Tournament? Mm, I think it's worth mentioning that the lore also helped with the design process. I definitely started creating the game through a, a mechanic, like game design perspective, like uh, we, you would call it um, bottom-up design. But at the same time, I was doing parallel the lore, and it got to a point where I merged the lore and the mechanics. So now I'm the point of like balancing the skills, and I gave name for all of the skills, and I wrote the art description for all of the skills. And using the the lore as a base really helps. So either if you create your own lore, or if you base your lore in another existing. Uh, world, either real or fantasy, it really helps to define what the, your game world is about to be able to create your your cards, either skills or creatures or whatever you're using in your design. I find that very interesting because, um, I mean, this is a this is a, um, a dueling card game, um, mm -hmm. player versus player card game. So. Um, I really, um, I really would like to understand how you, as a player, experience that lore, um, because um, of course you need some kind of, of theme or so um, mm. to 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 attract people. But um, the the deeper lore, how do you how do you really put it into the game so that the players are going to to experience that? I through the art basically is how players look at a kind of a feeling of the lore. I won't be able to explain the whole lore, of course, um, but I think it's important to have a lore so when players learn about the game, they can, and if they want to, they can dive deep into the lore if that's something the players care about. Some players don't care about. They just like the art and they just play the game. Um, you don't have to know the lore to play the game. And it's more of a The lore is more important, I think, to me than to players because it helps me structure the whole visual and thematic and design process. Yeah, awesome. That makes absolutely sense uh, for me. And um, yeah, I can when I when I look at those uh, at those cards, um, you you see the same kind of. Uh, characters there and um, there are also um, yeah different different movements that they are doing so I, I really can see that um, that the different characters have some kind of uh, yeah different behavior or so in the in your in your in your law yeah there's one race that it's immortal and they're kind of very They have a very different vision of the world because they're mortal and they see life differently. So they value life of other creatures less because they're not immortal. So they think, oh, they're going to die anyway. So they explore the world with 
kind of torture and like, scientific experiments, and that makes them more of an aggressive uh, kind of race. So you're going to see them represented in a lot of aggressive cards, and a lot of cards are really kind of mean and <laughs> negative. Mm-hmm. So what is your what is your plan with the game? How do you move forward? How can people how can people find you? How can people find the game and um, support you? So I'm planning to launch the game on Kickstarter at the end of April. Um, I might delay it a little bit because of what's going on in the world right now. So I'm going to wait a few more weeks to decide that. But it's coming to a Kickstarter very soon. And if you want to find, uh, find out more about the game, you can go to the website. There's a lot of info there. There's also a link to the Wikipedia, which have a list of all the cards. And you can follow me on Instagram, which I usually post uh, cards and new art. Um, but yeah, and in the website, I have a blog where I post the design diary, like entries, and talk a little bit of the design process. And sometimes I also post about game design in general. So, yeah, these ways are... Okay. You can contact me on Instagram or Discord. I have a Discord channel for the game. I will link all of that in the show notes so that people can find you and um, they can also... Yeah, I think they can also join your mailing list so that they know about um, yeah when your Kickstarter goes live and that they can support you. Yeah, sure. That sounds great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much, Bernardo, for sharing your um, your game design process with us today and um, some insights about the um, Emble Tournament, the the game, and um, yeah, also the um, simultaneous action selection. I I think your game looks very promising, and um, I will definitely back it once it is on Kickstarter. Oh, thank you, Marvin. And yeah, if anyone that's listening wants to ask more questions about the design process. Uh, you can contact me. I really like talking about design, and sometimes I also check games of other people, and especially in Tabletop Simulator, and like try to give feedback. Yeah, awesome. So that that's it for today's for today's episode. I really I really enjoyed our conversation, and um, until next week, keep shooting for the moon and nerd like a boss. Goodbye, everyone. 